On today's episode of Locked On 76ers, the two biggest words, the two best words in sports, Game 7, Sixers, Celtics. Well, we just simply are going to break it down right now, Locked On 76ers. You are Locked On 76ers, your daily Philadelphia 76ers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, you are locked on 76ers. I'm Devon Givens from 97.5 The Fanatic Radio in Philadelphia, alongside my co-host and partner as always, Inquired.com, Sixers beat writer. He is Keith Pompey. Keith, what's going on, man? What's good, D? How you been, bro? Good, man. Good, man. Better than, better than Thursday, because we got a game seven right in front of us, man. And and we can see me, too. <laughs> I'm <laughs> here, y'all. I'm really here. I'm really No more here. darkness. Yeah. No more no darkness. Doubt. We hope. We hope. We hope. We hope. So we do thank everybody for making Locked On 76 as your first listen every day, sticking it out with us all season long and through the playoffs. We'll see if this thing keeps going. And remember, Locked On 76ers is the place to be uh, if they do, in fact, keep going free and available on all platforms, including right here on YouTube at Locked On 76ers. Later in the show, we'll give our uh, keys to the game. We're going to preview it. but We're also going to talk about some little strategy Right, some little strategy from Doc Rivers maybe for this one. Joe Mazzulla made he made a change in Game Six after the Sixers and Doc Rivers countered in Game Five with a little Daniel House move. Joe Mazzulla went with the Robert Williams, the two bigs, and the starting lineup with Al Horford. That worked for them. You would expect that to keep going. Is there something else the 76ers and Doc Rivers with his coaching staff can do maybe in this Game Seven? Well, Keith, we are here. It's here. And uh, here we are with a game number seven, man. It's for all the marbles here to keep your season alive. Move forward. We were at practice, and we heard from Tobias Harris, George Niang, and Doc Rivers. And they just talked about some things that didn't go right in game number six, where they feel like they are correctable things. They feel like they are in a pretty good spot. Still going into Boston, even though they would have liked to have wrapped it up on Thursday night. But here we are, man. Game seven, Sixers Celtics. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's exciting. It's funny. You said you like game sevens. I don't like game sevens because, I mean, if I'm a coach, I don't like game. Sevens. Oh yeah. Only, only how I like a game seven is my team was down three to two, <laughs> or you know, I'm three to one. But if I'm up, I'm like, okay, we got a game seven winner to go. I don't, I don't know if I like that. But, but, I, that, but, but that's just me. Um, it's going to be exciting. You know, it's going to be a lot going on. Um, you know, to me, if you're the 76ers, you know, I hate that people don't like you bringing up the history, but you have to. You know, right now the Sixers are, are 6 and 11 in game sevens. They're 1 and 9 on the road in game sevens. So um, they lost their last three game sevens and they lost their last three on the road. So the history is not on the 76ers side. But throughout this season, we kept saying that this team has a different feel. And, you know, everybody's talking about making adjustments, and they are making some in both squads. But right now, we look at the history of this team not being able to get out of the second round since 2001. We look at the history of them losing to the Boston Celtics and all this and that. This right now, D, is one of the biggest games in the 76ers history, at least since winning, since going to the championship. So – 
Um, I'm excited, man. I'm excited to see what they can do. I'm excited to see what Joel Embiid does, see if James Harden can have a bounce back, and see Jason Tatum. That's the guy. I think that he, crazy as it sounds, if he comes out on fire, the Sixers might be in trouble. Oh, of course. If either he or Brown go off, you know they have the capability of going crazy. And we go back to the Milwaukee series a year ago in this same spot, but a game six where Jason Tatum had 46 points to force that game seven, and they went in there and they beat Milwaukee the way that they did. Uh, So, yeah, they're more than capable, either one of them, of going off. They did not have big games. We're talking about, what, 19 and 17 points between them two. Marcus Smart was the one who led them in scoring with a uh, total of 22 points. So, yeah, man, they they can go off at any given moment. And do you still feel, but do you feel that way about Joel Embiid or James Harden or Tyrese Maxey that they can go off at any given moment? No, the reason why I'm saying, see, um, the reason why I'm pinpointing Tatum, I think everybody can go off, but the problem is Tatum has struggled mightily in the first three quarters of most of these games. You know what I mean? Like, he just struggled. Uh I mean, there's only been one player who was worse than him, and that's been Al Horford. So the thing is, the reason why I'm I'm a little concerned about him more so than anybody else is that if he gets his rhythm early and he rides that and that crowd gets electric, that's the only reason why I'm concerned with him. Now, I do expect I do expect Joel Embiid to have a phenomenal game. You know, really? the thing about the thing about um, you know Harden. You know, it's a little iffy with him. You know what I mean? Like, we've seen great James Harden, and we've seen poor James Harden. You know, Tyrese Maxey, he's gotten better as the as the games have gone. The series has gone along, right? So the one guy, if we're, we're talking about the Sixers, the guy that I'm a little leery of or I really want to stay tuned to is two of them. One is Harden, and the second one is Tobias Harris. You know what I mean? And, and, and the thing about Tobias – it, like we talked about this before, it, you you don't got to get a lot of shots. You don't have to score a lot of points. But how are you impacting the game other ways? Are you grabbing the rebounds? Are you defending? Are you doing stuff? Now, when the ball gets swung to you, are you hesitating or are you just going straight up strong? And are you are knocking down threes? So, but for those two guys, Harton and Harris are the two guys that I really want to pay attention to to see like what are they going to do. So this is, I agree with you, the biggest game, no doubt, in the Joel Embiid era. This is just that, Game 7, for the right to go to the Eastern Conference Finals. It now takes over the Game 7 against the Atlanta Hawks a couple of years ago. And for the Tobias Harris piece, as you just mentioned him, he did have he did play good defense. You give him that. Uh, but the offensive side was just unacceptable. And, and he, he has to be better. He took six shots in that first quarter and – he was one for six. He took one shot in the second quarter, did not shoot in 23 plus minutes of a possible 24 minutes in the second half. That can't happen. No excuses on that one whatsoever. Uh, so at some point, you can't tell me the ball didn't find him a few times for him to make a decision to do something. It's one thing to swing the ball. It's another thing to have a smaller guy when you make a decision that you're going to take that guy and, and work him uh, for, for a bucket. So he has to be better. You're 100% right. Uh, can he be? Because he's an integral part, man. And if his defense is working, you also, I understand you might get a little fatigued and you might get tired. Right now it's the playoffs. It's game six, like, like it was on Thursday. And in this case, it's game seven. You got to muster up whatever you can muster up and get it, get it done. 
even if you have to go against and break off a play call because you see a situation. You know what? After I make that basket, Keith, me and you as my teammate, who you might be upset because I didn't do one thing, we'll talk about it after the fact. Here's what I saw. Here's why I did it. I got the two or three points on the board for us to, to uh, extend our lead, maybe tie the game or cut the lead to single digits or cut the lead to two in that in that place, in that type of place, in that type of uh, situation. He has to be better. One hundred percent. No question about it. He talked about it when we were at practice. Keep post practice ball movement. The ball has to continue to move. They have to be sharp. He felt like they had good shots. They didn't make them. They keep saying it. Make or miss league. He had those early. You cannot not take shots in the second half after having that. The James Harden piece, you know, it's funny, Keith, during the show on Friday on the Fanatic, uh, during my show, I, I had one person say it on the phones and I had one person send it to me on social media. They gave me the 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 uh, the timeline, of course, of the James Harden games, one through six. Game one, he had a big game. Games two and three, not so good. Game four had a big game. Game five, decent game statistically, and we know how he played, 17, 10, and 8. Game six, none. So they were basically looking at it, win, two losses, win, two losses, and now the pattern says win for game number seven. James Harden has a much better game than he did on Thursday. So uh, if, if it's that easy, then, then the Sixers are winning, if that's the case. Because that also means Tobias Harris is going to play a good game, too, because he played well in game one. He played well in game four and five. Game six, not so much. They need him in game seven. You said Joel Embiid. Uh, I don't want to brush past this one real fast. You said you feel like Embiid is going to have a big game. What makes you think that with this game seven? I mean, first of all, I, th- I think the two days off is, is is good for him and good for his knee. Um, you know, from what I heard, he's been going hard every day, you know, doing stuff, trying to get his conditioning up. But from a pain threshold, I, I feel like it's, he's going to be good. I also feel like Joel is all about, even though he won't say it, I think he's all about legacy. I do. And I think that he knows that this is the third time that he's been in the game seven and and uh, in, in the second round. Right. So the first year was like he was crying on his way back to the locker room because of the four bounce. The second time he had the torn meniscus and his right knee and and everybody said this. And then Ben Simmons passed up the layup in the whole nine and he apologized to the fans. I feel like this is the third time that he's been there. And yes, he is the MVP. He's improved and he's become a better player. But this is something that I don't think he really wants on his resume. Like he does not want to go down as this guy that couldn't do it. Now, not to say that eventually he won't get out of there, but I think for right now in this season, he's determined to do whatever he does. So it ain't his fault that we're saying they lost. And you you know what I mean? Um, So I, I feel as if that, Joel is due for a big game. I do. I mean, when when he plays hard, there is no more unstoppable player in the NBA. None. No one. No one. You've seen it. I've seen it. And we're not just not saying that because we cover the Sixers. I mean, you know basketball. I know basketball. We've seen how dominating this guy is. And if he comes to play, I don't think they're going to be able to stop him. I'm very curious to see what type of force he will be. Um, on the low block, he has 17. I saw a stat that he has 17 post touches in the game uh, on t- Thursday. It's not bad, of course. You know, it's not bad at all. 
And there's some work to be done there in the mid range where he's able to see over the defense, read all of that and go to work with his jump shot from there. It wasn't as automatic as, or, or at least getting the shots uh, there, but he got to the free throw line, was able to knock down his free throws, missing just one in the game. So yeah, if he can come out and be that dominant force and match whatever is happening potentially to your point of Jason Tatum earlier, then we'll see how that goes. And then it's just that collective effort, man. Everybody has to leave everything on the line. You have to go out there, be your best. Doc Rivers has to empty the uh, the bucket uh, of, of Sixers uh, there. And, and we'll see if that is something that he may actually do also in this game. And that's something I want to ask you next, Keith. Is there another secret weapon, if you will? Is there, is there another thing that Doc Rivers can do to counter what already worked now for what happened in the last game where Joe Mazzulla again switched up the starting lineup and put Robert Williams back in the front court with Al Horford and Jason Tatum. Only two players off the bench, Malcolm Brogdon and Derek White. They both scored decently enough to help win the game, especially Brogdon early, some big shots late from Derek White to extend their lead. And now the Sixers, it's their turn to maybe make another move, not necessarily starting, but in terms of what comes off the bench. I'll ask you that one next. And I wonder what the people think about this one, too. We'll get into that next right here, Locked On 76ers. Welcome back, Locked On 76ers. That is Keith Pompey. I'm Devon Givens, and we thank you for making Locked On 76ers your first listen every day. Uh, tomorrow on the show, we will be recapping Game 7 of the semifinal matchup. The winner will move on to the Eastern Conference Finals to take on the already advancing Miami Heat after beating the New York Knicks on Friday night. We'll do that again tomorrow on our next episode. Here on Locked On 76ers. Keith, is there anything else that, quite frankly, either one of these coaches can do to help out in this game? Because there is no tomorrow if you lose. So everything is on the table for this particular game seven in Boston. Is there, starting with Doc Rivers, is there anything else that you could potentially see maybe Doc Rivers doing to uh, help secure a victory on the road? Well, the one thing is I think what he might want to try to do is, is slow the pace down a little bit because it just seems like whenever they get out uh, and run, I mean, believe it or not, you know, I know Maxie is a good runner, but it seems like whenever Boston gets out and run, they score a lot of points in transition that's killing them, right? I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Doc probably reduce his rotation too. Hmm. I wouldn't be. I mean, I wouldn't be. I mean, I could see it being the game where because Paul Reed, it seems like the last couple of games is a little bit too big for him. Yeah, so it could be a game where, you know, P.J. Tucker comes out a little bit early and then they start going small ball lineups with him at the five at times. You know what I mean? Now, I don't know if that's a good matchup for the Sixers, but you could see that. Um, but if not, I can see them probably going with going back to D house a little bit. You know what I mean? Like if they don't do it and, and the reason why if they don't reduce it, the reason why I'm saying that is because I felt like 
you know, they say role players tend to play better at home, but he played phenomenally in, in game five on the road. And he was a big jolt of energy for him. And I felt like Doc went away from him early. Like Doc might have, I ain't going to say panic, but it was like, yo, this ain't working. This guy's not not giving me instant instant stuff. Instead of like sticking with him for a couple more possessions, I felt like he got the hook. You know what I mean? So, I, But I do feel like the way that he makes a game like ugly, gets out, gets steals, does all types of stuff, that's the type of guy you need to provide a spark and some energy. You know what I mean? I do. Now, we talked about it off camera, like Shake Milton's a guy. But I don't know if Doc has that faith in him right now mm-hmm. to come in there in the game seven, where it's possession by possession, knowing that people are going to attack him on a defensive end, that he has faith in there and to put him out there and and and, and try to steal a couple possessions. I, I don't know if the coach has the faith in him. Yeah, it, it was either him or to your point when you go to Reed and it seems like it's just not working for him right now, does he go to one of the veteran bigs just to spell Joel if he doesn't want to go with the small ball, P.J. Tucker? And with that, is that Montrez Harrell or is it Dwayne Dedman? Uh, Dwayne Dedman has played in these types of games before with the Miami Heat or at least being a part of it. Montrez Harrell, not necessarily a great playoff record, but if you're going to try to, again, just give Joel Embiid and steal some minutes while he's resting and that you don't have faith in Paul Reed in that spot, then I would imagine he would go with the veteran. And to your point, maybe it is someone like P.J. Tucker where they go small. Maybe Tobias Harris plays the five a little bit because he can bang with Al Horford maybe. Or you know that at least putting a body on Robert Williams because he's not going to try to get his own shot on his own. It has to be created by a teammate with an alley-oop or a pass or a dunk or an offensive rebound, putbacks type of situation running the floor, and at least Tobias Harris can keep up with him. I am very curious to see the chess match or the whatever next maneuver there might be because, again, this is it. So as you said, this is a game where maybe he shortens the bench. Maybe we only see De'Anthony Melton and George Niang. I, I, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe we only see those two guys, but maybe we do see Daniel House for a couple of minutes. I'm very curious to see how he sprinkles some of those minutes in, in there because you would imagine that the other guys are going to definitely play. If it's a close game, they're going to play upwards of 38 to 40 minutes, if not more. And I think George might have <clears throat> tipped the tip that gave us a little something today. Mm-hmm. Um, pay attention to when he was asked, are you prepared to play more minutes? And he says, no, what do you think? Yeah. Like, you know, but he got a little smart, but then he, you know, he apologized to the reporter a little bit like later, but, but, but at the same time, well, it's true. Smart, who, who wouldn't be ready? Yeah. Who wouldn't be ready? But, but at the same time, I do think that that, that question was being asked because, Hey, if they reduce this bench, you're going to have to play some minutes, but let's be real. The or if TJ Tucker is not knocking down the shots, you might get the first call. Yeah. Yeah. True. But the thing is, the thing is, the thing about that, I, I think when we get caught up with the PJ thing, the shots thing, like my thing is, I honestly believe if PJ Tucker was on the floor when that team was going on runs and stuff like that, he would have been able to settle guys down. Like, because he's the only one on the team that could get in James' face, that can get in Joel's face. No one else can, and nor will anyone else try. Right. So, 
when it comes down to PJ, it ain't always about knocking shots. How many times have we seen PJ know that he can't get a rebound, but he tips it to one of his teammates to grab it or does the chips? So, like, yeah, it's great for him to knock down shots. But I'm telling you, there was times where the offense looked crazy. You know what I mean? And and it's hard to lead from the bench. I'm not I'm not denying that, but that was their strategy. We're gonna live and we're gonna die with PJ Tucker. I'm speaking as Boston. Yeah. They you know, so if he's not making them, Keith, and you're you're missing that shot, you're gonna go on fast breaks. That's that's a an opportunity for you to get a fast break opportunity, short corner three. If it hits off the back of the rim, it often, if it's not bouncing to the left or the right back, it's bouncing this way, going towards the other basket. That's a fast break opportunity. And when he was missing them, I guess that's where Doc Rivers felt like, all right, we got number one, we got down too much, 15 to three. So we had to take him out. He wasn't happy. He dropped himself on that seat. He was ticked off. And and I get it. I understand it. Um, And I'm not saying he shouldn't be out there to make shots because he has to take them. That's the bottom line. He has to take them. But if he's not making them and then defensively they're still running, he was on the floor when it was a 15-3 uh, start by the Boston Celtics, Doc Rivers is going to look to try to get some offensive punch going there too and so they can respect them and not just shade off of him for the entire every, every possession down the floor. So that's where the strategy, I understood it. I got it, and I didn't mind it knowing that but it was just a matter of when was pj tucker going to come back in and could he now start to get into a good rhythm when he's knocking down a few more of those shots because they were wide yeah. open now but here's the thing i get what you're saying right and pj did have a lot of shots but the thing that gets was me he is two for seven i think he was he was two for seven on threes yeah. i get it he was three for eight overall right he made that layup yeah so yeah but his shooting percentage was like there was only two, there was only three other people on the team who shot better than PJ on that day, right? And that was um, George Niang, who was two for three. And then it was uh, Joel Embiid, who was nine for 19. And it was Tyrese Maxey, who was nine for 20. The guy who they brought in there, and he played more minutes than PJ, Mm -hmm. was DeAnthony Melton, right? Mm -hmm. And DeAnthony Melton really struggled mightily in that third quarter right so i get that what when he was saying. 0 for 3 he was he was he was oh well he he ended i think he was 0 for 4 0 for 4 like, 0 for 4 in all threes and he was 0 for 5 for the game so i understand that tobias harris lord have mercy he was 0 for 6 on threes right now the thing all is, in the first half you know, so no no tobias wasn't 0 for 6 on threes was he uh, no, I'm sorry. Take that back. James Harden was 0 for 6. Yeah, Tobias, yeah. Tobias was uh, 0 for 1. He was on 1 for 7. Right. But James, so like, I get it. But then when you're saying is, it's like, I understand, you know, everybody has different rules. But when you bring, you take a guy out and you put another guy in there and you give him more minutes, you best make sure this guy outperforms the other dude. You have well, to. He got open looks. He got open, but t- the thing is, gotta make him. TJ had a, a co-team high three steals. He did. You understand what I'm saying? So yeah. it, it's, it's, to me, uh, you know, I don't know, man. I, I get it. Like, I don't know. Like, on a night when everybody is missing, everybody, and besides George Niang. And then my question is, why doesn't George Niang get more minutes? 
You know what I mean? So as he'll give just, him more points on the other end. Yeah, but dude, if you I'm answering your question, was given. Uh, see, I mean, what I'm saying is you can't like you can't like have different situations for different people. Like it all has to be right because you know you taking George out because of that. But they were scoring a lot of points on off of Melton's three missed threes too. Yeah, of course they were getting. And that was like yeah. in the defining part of the game too. You're like, yo, mm-hmm. so you know what I mean. So that that's all I'm saying. Give me some big shots. Um, a lot of guys had got a lot of shots. A lot of them missed them, and and I, I wonder how Doc Rivers now approaches the game. The game is going to tell the story of how he make his substitutions, whether it's makes or misses, whether it's foul trouble where he has to call another a number before he wants to or keith i mean if, if they're making them and they go on one of those hot 50 percent shooting quarters to start the game or the first half where they're playing well the the, the game will tell the story of how how he's going to make the substitution patterns and who's in who's out and all of that it's a big moment a lot of these players keith have not been in the spot like this so but and that's another thing. The one dude, only one who's been in that spotlight was Tucker. Was Tucker. Right. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see uh for game number seven how what direction Doc Rivers goes into. With that, our final segment before game number seven, Keith and I are gonna give you our keys to this game. Uh for obviously, as we talk about it, for victory for the 76ers, and uh, we'll let you know. Uh, what we think has to happen in order for them to advance to the Eastern Conference Finals. That's our last segment right here on this episode of Locked On 76ers. All right, folks, welcome back. We appreciate it as always here on Locked On 76ers. That is Keith Pompey. I am Devon Givens, and we have to give our keys to this one as always throughout the season. Uh, I'm wondering if we're going to be doing more keys next week for uh, the Eastern Conference Finals. But in order for them to do so, they might need to take our strategy, Keith, and take our keys to the game uh, out there and put them on the whiteboard in the uh in the garden so might want to pass that off to the coaching staff and see what happens but all right man what are you, what are you thinking what are your keys for this one game seven i mean my keys are like you can't abandon stuff too quickly i mean i, I know it's game seven and it's possession by possession but but i do think that you got to get guys like well first of all the keys is you got to control the boards like that's the number one thing like in game six they went in there in a hostile environment and they killed them on the boards. And basically, the one guy it was Joel Embiid early on, and it was Tobias Harris. Game five. Huh? Game five. Game, yeah, game five. Excuse me. Game five. So it was Joel Embiid, and it was Tobias Harris. And that's what I want to see from Tobias again. Uh, he needs to grab the boards. He has to have control of the boards. They also got to play smart basketball. Like, you got to – you got to – you can't get into foul trouble. You can't do the reach, and you got to do whatever – and I can't see James getting frustrated with lack of calls because it's going to be tough to get calls on the road 
in in Boston, right? It just is. So, but to me, I also think that, you know what, like, Doc, the main thing that they're talking about is, you know, there's a balance. You find a balance on do I get Embiid the ball or do I take the shot, right? Um, you know, but I feel like he has to have touches because what that does is when you give him the ball and then he can turn around and face and pass out the double teams before the guy gets there, then all of a sudden you got guys getting free shots, open shots. So I feel like those are the three things in my eyes. It's like, hey, you got to get the rebounds. You got to get Embiid involved. You can't run away from him like you did in the fourth quarter. And then thirdly, you know what? They got to play smart ball, and James has to play through things. Let me ask you that before I get my keys. Uh, we haven't talked much about James Harden. So what, what are you expecting? I, I, I know I mentioned the pattern of the games one through six, win one game one and game four, two, two, three, five and six, they lose. So the pattern says that they'll win this game. But what, what are you expecting from him? I don't know, man. I'm going to be honest. Fair enough. Like, fair. I don't know. Because my thing is, right his pattern, history, so I understand. Yeah, because his, his previous history, his previous history doesn't really do well in in, in game sevens, right? Or you know, mark, mark major games. Um, so, I mean, you would hope that you, you you'll see him. Now he had two days off that helps him a little bit, a little older body. He could get a day to rest up and and this and that. Um, but honestly, I don't know, man. Like James Harden is the enigma to me of this series. Like, and I said him and then Tobias somewhat a little bit to see what Tobias is going to do. But James is an enigma to me, man, because, you know, James Harden is as vital as Joel Embiid is and how successful he is to me. James Harden is like the MVP of the team, so to speak. You know what I mean? Like whenever he plays well and gets everybody involved and hits a little bit of shots, they do well. So, what I mean is the most – I don't mean like he is the most valuable. I'm not saying he's the MVP, like how we think it, but he is the most valuable asset to the Sixers. Of course, we know Embiid can score, but when James Harden is getting everybody involved and doing what he does – And score. They win. And score, they win. When he struggles, they lose. So, like like as you said, game one, game this, whatever. Whatever they – whenever he played well, they won. Whenever he played poorly, they lost. Fair enough, man. Fair enough. And uh, so for me, uh, it is, again, about coming out right away and just getting off to a good start. Uh, they did finish with 22 points. They were only down seven at the end of the first quarter. But a 15-3 run, that looked like it was going to be really ugly. You exerted a lot of energy in that comeback that you did to eventually take a five-point lead in that third quarter. So getting off to another good start, as I talked about before game six, after having a good start in games four and five, I, I, I want to see them uh, getting off to a good start yet again and seeing if they can keep that type of uh, momentum going because you know that you're going to get off, uh, you're going to get a run at some point from the Boston Celtics. So if they get off to a good start, lead after the first quarter, I think that will tell a good story for the 76ers. I agree with you on the rebounding side of things. Uh, the Sixers did it in game five. Boston did it in game six. Philadelphia dominated on the defensive glass, collecting those misses of the Boston Celtics. When the Sixers, again, make a miss league, and this game was all about misses for the Sixers, they missed their shots. Boston grabbed those defensive rebounds, which did not allow for more opportunities for the Sixers. And it's crazy because the Sixers forced more turnovers, 
outshot the Celtics by five and still, again, came away with the loss. The other thing for me, Keith, is when you talk about making shots, it was 15 to eight in favor of Boston at the three-point line on, on Thursday. They have to make their shots again. I mean, it's very simple. It's game seven. Make a miss league. All these cliches we want to talk about. Got to hit your shots, man. And you got to hit those three-pointers. And you got to close out because a lot of those were some open looks for the Boston Celtics. Al Horford may not miss seven again. He may not miss five again. You're probably not going to get another poor performance from Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum where Tatum has to go off like he did on Thursday. So they're going to have to make sure that they do their job defending the three-point line and shooting it well from beyond as well. So those are my keys, man. Get off to a good start. Rebound the basketball. Make your threes. Close out on the threes on the other end. And I think they'll be in a good position. And if I had to wrap it up here, which I'm basically going to do, uh, the first five minutes of the game were key in game six, and so were the last five minutes in game six. So you start off well, you end well, you win the basketball game. All right. All right. Well, folks, when we come back, we'll be talking about game seven and what took place, either going home for the summer or moving on, coming home for game one against the Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. Thank you all for making Locked On 76ers your first listen every day and every dayers. We will talk to you uh, once this thing is over on Sunday, game seven, some early evening. Since it's a 3.30 tip time, again, for folks who don't know, Sixers Celtics, 3.30 from the Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. And uh, things will be done early evening on Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Hope you have a great day. And maybe the Sixers, for all the Sixer moms out there, maybe the Sixers will give you another gift. And that is the gift of victory moving on and advancing to the Eastern Conference Finals. Keith, as always, man, thank you. And uh, do you mind letting the good folks know where they can find us? Yeah, first of all, what you need to do is you need to um, follow our podcast. You need to um, become a subscriber. You can listen to this podcast wherever you get your podcast at, right? And then for the YouTube, what you need to do is when you get on to the YouTube channel, you go to the Liberty Bell, you click on the Liberty Bell, and you become a new subscriber. Once you become a new subscriber, you get notifications and, and, and the whole nine, right? But also, you need to follow my man D on a Divine Giving Show on 97.5 FM. Now, he'll be on there today on Sunday from 1 to 3.15 p.m., breaking down everything for you, breaking it all down, right? So 1 to 3.15 p.m., right? Then also follow D on Twitter, especially during this game. You got to keep up with what he has to say about the game. So you do that at Divine G975, right? And then follow me on Twitter at Pompey on Sixers. And you can read my game coverage um, from the game on Inquire.com and in the Philadelphia Inquire. All right, Keith. Uh, we'll be talking to you, man. Talking to you after the game. Uh, probably live from Boston, right? So we'll get your reaction to the game as as things wrap up. And, folks, we'll talk to you then. Keith, enjoy it. Again, all the moms out there, happy Mother's Day. And we'll talk to you after Game 7. Peace.